Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the show. Today, I'm taking you on a fly, playful journey. I'm talking to the CEO of Play Airline, which is an Iceland-based low-cost airline that is fairly new. It's around two years old. And Birke Jonsson, my interviewee today, is the CEO of that company. We're talking about his journey of taking the company from zero to where it is right now and where it's going next year. We're talking about 100 employees, around 550 employees soon enough in the company, about the operating hundreds of millions of dollars and doing it in a sustainable way with a long-term vision in sight and sustainability of the operations of the culture uh, in mind. So Birger shares how for him culture is the foundation of the company and when you should start that journey according to him. Listen to his experiences being an outsider and how that has affected him as a leader and uh, being a team player or build what he takes in from that experience to build teams around himself. We talk about the soft things and he put quote marks, air quote marks on that when we discuss those areas. We talk about developing of the team, being humble, but sometimes brutal as well as a leader. So it's, it's a conversation packed with a lot of different topics. And just to give you a bit of a background or context for Birger, he has the career that is not a typical one for many people in other countries. But um, yeah, you can have that in Iceland. He has been in the airline world three times, so well, being the CEO of Play is his third time in the airline world, but he has been in very different areas in between. He would run, be the CEO of a big uh, printing company in Eastern Europe. He's been in Hong Kong. Uh, he has uh, been a drummer in a uh, punk rock band here in Iceland, quite popular one that is still quite active. And he also did a digital transformation turnaround project as a CEO of Icelandic Post, a government-owned owned, uh, organization. So it's quite a smorgasbord of uh, experiences there. And Birke is bringing all of them to the table today in this conversation. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Birke Jonsson. Enjoy and see you on the other side. Birke, warmest welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I want to start with uh, questions about the name of my podcast, uh, which is Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything. And there will be two questions, one for each of the parts. Okay. Genius Leadership is about leading from your zone of genius, knowing what you're good at naturally, what gives you energy when you do it, and where you really produce unique results, because it's really your nature and your talent and gift to do that. So Genius Leadership is about leading from that space, creating companies and teams where you have the space to, to work in your zone of genius and you can uh, gather people who can work from their zone, zone of genius. So what is your zone of genius and how do you lead from it? 
Well, my, I guess my zone of genius is knowing that I'm not a genius, you know, and knowing that I can't really do anything by myself or, or I'm, I'm not the best person to, to do the things that the company needs to do in order to be successful. So I just try to, to create a team that, that is better than I am. Everyone is humble. When I, when I interview them and ask about this, everyone says I'm not a genius. Well, I, I assume that you are talking to leaders that have been successful in, in what they're doing. And I, and I guess if you want to be a good leader, you have to be humble. I'm sure that you don't really meet a lot of people that are arrogant or, or egoistic because those are not the kind of leaders I guess you would be interested in. I actually want to add more. So far, it has been like, as you say, but I actually would like to add more opinions and backgrounds to the show just for, for my audience, for the genius leaders listening to make their own conclusions and learn also from examples of that don't resonate with them and maybe... Yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's, uh, it's important to not to confuse being humble or, or not egoistic to being weak or not being firm enough because mm-hmm. I can also be extremely brutal. You know, and I've, I've been working a lot in, in very, very uh, difficult scenarios where, I, where I've had to you know, make major changes or huge layoffs and stuff like that. That's not the same thing as, as being, you know, you have, to, you have to do that as a last resort when you think it's the right thing for the business, but, but it's, it's, uh, you have to treat that with respect. So, so I think that, uh, you know, with that respect or with that re- experience comes, I guess, also humility. You, you realize that you know you are you are working with people and, and taking having major impact on their lives basically. And it sounds like it has been a journey of growing that humility or learning it, or has it always been like that for you? Uh, no, I'm I'm extremely. When I talk about, for example, eco with my friends and <clears throat> family, they they laugh, you know, because I'm probably the most self-centered, egoistical person they know in my personal life. But as a manager, as a leader, I have learned that you know like i said before you cannot really do anything by yourself you have to you have to create an environment and you have to you have to create because i'm a musician in my other life i often describe it you have to kind of create a groove create a band that is that is grooming you know mm-hmm. and then a team that is functioning so that's my role we'll come back to that uh, but i want to ask you a question about the second part of the name which is overcoming everything it is about the roller coaster right of being a leader we all as leaders have some tough days those days when you feel like it's all over or why did i even start this journey or something like this what was your darkest or toughest day in your leadership journey i mean they can come many times a week you know you know it's uh, i don't think i can say that you know oh it was like 2011 and that was a very dark period and now everything is perfect it's not like that you know if you are especially in the kind of uh, work that i've been doing you have to do it emotionally and you have to lead emotionally. And you have to also be, again, I guess, humble enough to say to people that you're working with that, you know, I'm tired or I'm, you know, I don't see the purpose of this or whatever. And then you feel the team kind of working together and, and, and support you. I, I'm, I would never try to say that, you know, I'm like a, a general that is just to battle and I only see victory and I will never stop. You know, I don't think that's a, that's, a, that's not a human, human beings don't work like that. We are emotional and we are vulnerable and we are sensitive and you know where is the balance there to to be emotional to show that you're human as a leader as well try not to cry at the office mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess that's a that's a would not be a not in iceland at least a very uh, attractive thing no i don't know i think i think it's just you know if you have trust if you if you have built trust in your team then you are 
you have the right kind of environment to be vulnerable and, and, and to be human. Because if people are able to see their own feelings as normal and they understand that people that they perceive to be in some kind of a leadership position also go through those feelings, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you create some kind of an equal grounding too. And that's what, that's what you need to create a team. You mentioned that in Iceland it would not be so appreciated if, if the leader cries in the yeah, office. I don't know, maybe, maybe it is. Mm, yeah, yeah, it really also the culture within the company. But you have worked in other places that are very different culturally, right? R- Romania, for example. Uh, how was that experience for you to come in with a completely different background? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was working in in a relatively large company in in Romania, Hungary, and Bulgaria, where I was CEO, uh, and that that's. Uh, there was quite a, you know, I guess where you really learn that you are an outsider and you have to rely on other people because you don't understand the language, you don't understand the cultures. Before that, I lived in Asia, in Hong Kong for a few years and working in China and Asia. So you kind of realize that even even though you think you're really cool and you know everything, you, you come into an environment where you basically don't know anything. And, and then, then that's something that you need to, that teaches you that you have to create a team. but. In those kind of places, especially in Romania, this is a very top-down culture. You know, these former Eastern European or, or yeah, Eastern European countries are very leadership-focused. So, so there's a dictator. They are used to that. And uh, to be to have a different kind of approach was sometimes very confusing for people, and people perceived it as a weakness. To be able to sit down with someone and said, "Listen, how do you want to do it?" Because I don't know the answer. And and the person said, you know, you you are the manager. You should know it better than I do. And my answer to that was, okay, that's kind of old school. If you're working in like uh, you you are a foreman in a in a you're digging a hole or something, and you are the best guy on the shovel, and you are teaching the other guy how to do it, something like that. This is not how modern leadership works. So so once people realize that you are not weak, and you had to show them. You had basically had to show them that you know why are, am I asking these questions? Why am I actually asking you? what you think and how you want to do your job. Uh, and if you, and sometimes you have to also show your strength to, to get the respect. Because like I said before, you can never confuse the two that at the end of the day, you are the person as, uh, as the director of as the CEO, or whatever, you are the person that actually has the responsibility. And if the team is not functioning like you want it to be, you have to do something about it. It's not. So you know, it's a, it's an educational process, but, but you, you, at least for me personally, I really learned that what works and what doesn't work. And, and, and you basically do it like you're like a child. You're like sitting there and you say, I can't do anything. I don't know anything. I, I don't know what to call. I don't know, don't understand the language. I don't understand the reports that I'm getting. I have a feeling that I'm not being told the right things. Who should I trust? You know, things like that. Basically, you understand you have to begin to create your network and, and build relationships and, and work with people. I usually talk about me being an outsider and being used to that quite a lot as well. And I almost, probably you could say from outside perspective that I almost take pride in that. Uh, I started working at Volvo Cars just fresh as a, gra- as a graduate, got into the project management office because that was my background. So I was sitting there suddenly with, I was 23 and uh, in Sweden as a Ukrainian and I just started learning the language. So I was a woman in a man-dominated industry uh, I was the youngest one, usually lowering the the average age in the room by a couple of uh, yeah. decades. <laughs> yes, 
and also an immigrant. So it was just like ticking all the boxes of not fitting in. But that gave me permission to actually ask dumb questions. And I got to learn that a lot of people around the table would think or ask that those questions within, but never dare just because they had to conform and to fit in. Mm -hmm. So I learned that this is a strength of mine and that's what I can really bring mm -hmm. to the table. How was your experience with this being an outsider, apart from having the challenges of not understanding and having to, to build the network from scratch? I mean, it's, I guess it's like a common un, kind of basic understanding and belief that people are usually more intelligent, more kind of percep perceptive, uh, have more to give than what it says on their business card. So like we have here in an airline, there are so many people that can ask good questions about why we're flying to this destination, not that, that, that destination. So even though you're working as a bookkeeper or something, you can also say, listen, you know, I know about this destination or I used to live in Sweden or whatever, you know, you have something to give. And most of us, what we do is like, we go home at the end of the day and we say, you know, those idiots at work, they don't, they never listen to me. They never ask me anything. And you're talking to your, your husband or, or girlfriend or wife or whatever. And you, and, and you're basically saying, you know, these idiots say, I know how to do it. So I always ask people, listen, instead of going home and complaining to your spouse, tell me what you, what you are complaining about, you know, and I can give you the respect of listening to you. I can also say, listen, I, I'm not going to do it, but thank you for telling me. Thank you for, you know, and then people feel valued. And then slowly you begin to create an environment that people are unafraid in meetings to say, listen, okay, I, this is not my department, but I'm thinking, why are we doing this? You create like, and that, that doesn't happen by on one in one week. This is a cultural thing, you know, and, and, and culture is something that, that needs to be grown over time, you know, it's not something you just decide in a PowerPoint show. And that's something I actually wanted to discuss with you. So it's a perfect transition to discussing how you build the culture. You used to come into the turnaround or companies, existing companies and well-established to do some turnaround projects as a CEO. For example, the post assignment of yours uh, here before um, play. How was it for you to start a company from scratch and have the means and the capacity and the resources to build the thing, the whole thing as, as you want it? Well, I mean, you, you come through to all projects in life with your previous experience. And, and one thing that I've learned, and, and we've discussed a few things, is that it's usually not about the obvious thing. Like now we're sitting in an airline the success of the business has very little to do with the aircraft. You know, it's a, it's to do with the people and how they work together and how they communicate, how decisions are made and basically the soft things. And, uh, and in my world, the soft things are the hard things, you know, because I understand, or at least my approach is that, you know, if you have a team of people that is unafraid to have difficult discussions or trust each other and, and basically execute the clear strategy and all the decisions are made, you know, with, uh, with a critical mindset. So it's not just you that is doing it. You know, it's like a team, everyone's challenging you and you are, you know, what comes out of the process is something that the team has uh, processed. That's the better, that's the better result for the company than just buying an aircraft or, and flying to Stockholm or something, you know, where everyone can do that. I mean, that's a basic thing. Uh, so, so I just realized that you have to, this is something that doesn't happen by itself. Uh, you have to invest in it, both time and and also money. Uh, and here and and in all the places that we are, I have worked in, 
I'm just working with uh, kind of leadership trainers and management consultants, basically, to make sure that all the teams are in a program and they are working together with um, uh, some kind of shared ideology. So when I say something to you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for example, here we are working with a one process or one concept that is if you're over the line or under the line, you know, if you're over the line, you are positive. If you're under the line, you are kind of negative and you see only problems. But if you're over the line, you're kind of open and I listen to you and I'm like, yeah, this is not crazy. I've never thought of it like this. So when I'm in a meeting or when you, when you hear people talking, sometimes you begin to hear like, guys, we're a little bit under the line here. So you have a shared terminology, terminology, yeah. and then everyone in the meeting knows. Yeah, yeah, okay, we need to be a little bit more open about this. And that this is just one little example. If you have a, a range of these kind of things and you do it over time, slowly you begin to see that the, the teams are beginning to communicate better, and you are unafraid to kind of challenge things. You know, codependence is another thing that we work with here. You know, and and in other companies that I work with, you know that. If you are showing a behavior that is unacceptable to the company, and I'm not talking about any kind of you're showing a drunk to work or something like that. I'm basically showing that you are you're rude to me, or or whenever some like you said yourself, you know, you you come a young woman into a culture, and and if if you see that some older guy is like, why are you saying this thing, you little girl? You know, you know, if you don't tackle that and say, listen, old man, this is not the way we want to behave here. You're unafraid to kind of challenge things that that are unacceptable to you, and it's often difficult because people are these kind of people are coming from a position of respectability. They're coming from a position of strength and and political clout, maybe or something. And it's you have to work with the whole team to explain to them. Listen, we're not codependent here. I'm going to talk to this person about this. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be brutal or something. I'm just going to say, listen, this is not the way we want to do things here. You have to you have to realize that if you want to behave like this, you cannot stay here. And if you create these kind of values within a team, and again, it doesn't happen in one day; it's a process. You're slowly getting to a point where where you have a more healthy healthy company culture than than you would have otherwise. And you know, I often explain explain it like a football field. I mean, you just we have lines here that we have decided that we want to have rules within this football field. This is the rules of the game. If people are breaking the rules, we have to be very unafraid to say, listen, you're not allowed to touch the ball with your hand. These are the rules. We are all agree on them. You broke the rules. Kind of, You have to either stop doing it or go out. How is it when people do not um, fit in the culture, when they break the rules consistently? And where is the line of how long do you give them the chance and how much effort you put into uh, helping them to fix that behavior? Versus letting person go or maybe changing where they are so that they're affecting the team less and so on. I mean, usually with hindsight, you realize that you probably gave them too much time. It's mm-hmm. usually like that. But you also, and, and going following from everything I'm saying, you have to also be unafraid to tell people, listen, you have to give them a few warning shots mm-hmm. and, and guidance. You know, this is, you may be new or something. You, know, you, you remember the rules we discussed? You are not breaking the rules. Please don't do that. Or do you want help? Do you maybe not understand the rules? Do you maybe not understand what we expect from you? Do you maybe not understand? Is the is the strategy unclear? Have I not? Have we not been clear enough to show you what we're trying to do here? What the results are? What what? How we measure our success? So you go through all this, and if the person still says, "Listen, 
and know what you're saying. I just don't want to play by the rules. Then the whole team is looking at you as a leader. And then your credibility is on the line. And then either you say, listen, I can't lose Anna. You know, she's too important for me. Or you have to say, listen, and then if I do that, and you, if you said, listen, I don't want to play by the rules. And I said, okay, it's okay. You, you don't have to do it. All the other guys have to do it, but not you. Then you have no cred- credibility as a leader and you can just go. Home. So, you know, then I go back to what I said before in the beginning. I said, listen, okay, I'm not so gentle and humble and, and team minded anymore. I'm just going to say, Anna, you're not coming in here anymore. And I'm the boss and it's my team and it's my company. So at some point you have to basically say that. At the end of the day, I'm the referee in the game. You know, it's like, okay, you have a red card out. And you learn that by experience. And, uh, and then, you know, there's a whole nother podcast, how you do that and how you feel doing that. But you have to be also quite cold in making those decisions because you have to take it uh, with, the, with the whole kind of uh, to the benefit of the company and of the team. You know, you mentioned earlier, and I said, we would come back to that, talking about being humble, but at the same time, brutal or straightforward when it's needed and how you've learned that you need to build a team that you that needs needs to function well so that you actually reach the common goal. I want to talk about the delegation there. It sounds like in your personal life, you are the go-getter. You go and do things and you do them your way. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. And then you had to learn in your professional life to to maybe be more on a coaching position, to explain to people what you see, how you see that coming to life maybe. And then let them make their mistakes on, on the way. How was that process of delegation for you? I guess it's always the same answer. You just kind of realize that you, you re- I, I, for me, for example, I really don't have all the answers. I really don't know how to do these things. No, I'm, I'm not, for example, good with numbers. So I would, in the world would be like a Picasso painting if I would control it because I, you know, there's just a lot of things that I don't know how to do or, or don't do well. So, but what I have been able to do well is work with people and work with kind of, and getting these things, uh, getting things done basically. And, and uh, you know, you just have to make sure that you have all the people with you that know how to do things. And, and then my role is, and I'm, I'm, I've been reasonably successful in that, in making sure that they know what to do, where, where we're going, what we're trying to achieve. And then getting out of the way, just letting them, letting them basically get on with their work. So I'm not... I mean, I have directors here or, or like uh, close colleagues that I don't talk to every day, even though we're working in the same office. They just are just running their show. And, and uh, I'm not the kind of person that's like, no, are you doing this? Or this is the decision. I'm kind of making sure that the whole kind of the, the overall picture is correct. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you always work with some management consultants uh, or some external support. Is that for the leadership team or is it for all employees? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. It's different be- between companies. But I mean, when I talk about management consultants, I'm more talking about like leadership coaches, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, some of these, I mean, I've done it so many times that I could say those words, you know, and I could go through those exercises. But it's always good to have an outside perspective. And it's like being uh, going to a psychologist or something or marriage counselor or something like that. You, it's easier to have a difficult decision or difficult discussion with when you have a third party in the room, you know. And um, so, so that's that's been that's been helpful. And and uh, and I, I seriously think that this is not something you know that is a, a, a nice to have. This is a key 
key kind of success factor in at least what I've done. And, and if I've ever been successful at anything in business, it's, it's usually because I'm, this has been the focus. What would you recommend to the startups that are, are not as, as uh, lucky as you are with uh, the financing part from the start and the bootstrapping, for example, in the beginning? How can they get this external support of leadership coaching or so? Well, you know, I think that when you're a startup company, you have to realize, and of course, I assume that people are trying to build up companies for the long term and you're laying a foundation and your culture is a foundation on work. So, for example, when I started at Play one and a half years ago, we had 40 employees. Now we have 350. We will have 606 months. Uh, and I often describe it as, a, as an after party. After, after like you go home and, and uh, after, after you're, you're at, at the bar or something and you have like 10 people and you know that there's a few taxis coming to your party. And we have to decide, you know, because now we see a lot of new people coming into the company, in, in, like in most startups. What kind of party do we want these people to come to? You know, and it's much easier to control those kind of 10 people at the party and say, listen, we have decided here that this is the way we want people to behave at our party. We don't want them to throw up in the living room. We don't want them to break the windows or do this or that. So if people behave like that, we want the, we want the group to say, listen, this is not our party. It's much easier to do it when you're 10 people and new people are coming in and trying to enforce rules or, or values when you are 600 people. So when you have a, have a startup company, and if you don't think about culture, and you don't think about values or strategy and st stuff like that, you will not be able to do it as successfully when the company is big. So if you have the belief that this is a real issue, this is an important issue, not something I will do it when I have the money or something like that, uh, then you're, this is, that would be a major mistake, I would, I would think, in the, in the growth kind of span of the company. Because, for example, we are working here on an airline. We airlines have to be more sustainable. You know? So we are trying to make sure that all decisions that we are taking here have go through like a sustainability filter. And it's much easier to do it when we're small with like three and six and then you know, 10 aircraft than when we have 50 aircraft, you know, because then we will have some person come in and there will be a small department and, and they will be trying to talk to someone, someone and people will have to change. Now, this is the way we've always been doing it. And you have to change the proce processes. You have to kind of retrofit the mindset. Mm. It's never going to work. It's always going to be some kind of a greenwashing thing. But if you do it from the start, this is, you know, this is the way we do it at this party. And, uh, you know, so, so I always go back to the thing and say that this is not a, this is not a nice to have. This is not something you can do once you have built the company. This is, this is really building the company. This is the, this is the reason why the company will be successful. What was that building the company or its foundation when you were 40 people when you were starting? How, how like tell, walk us through the uh, particular steps concrete things that you did to establish those rules of the game well i was not with i was not with this company when it when it kind of those 40 people started but of course what happened is is that you know some serious money comes into it and the company has an ipo and it's listed on the stock exchange and and you know you just begin to hire people and build the business so so once you do that you like i said before you have to do it with with uh, some kind of a method And and uh, and the, there has to be a very clear strategy and objectives and and uh, milestones and stuff like that. And you have to lay it before you start. But there have been many many challenges. And you know, I could probably write three books, you know, about 
this short period of time. I mean, this has been a lot of lessons learned and a lot of mistakes and a lot of successes and victories. But, you know, uh, this is a, you know, a very rewarding and interesting time if you want to be open to that. You know. What would those three books be? Well, it, you know, one could op- absolutely be about, you know, culture and, and also how you make changes to the structure and, and management team. And, and, and basically because, you know, for example, last year we had, June last year, we had no revenue, no, no turnover. This year we are closing at $140 million. Next year we'll have like $300 something million. Just, you know, and from these 40 people to like 550 next year, just imagine the pressure on the infrastructure of the company. And the changes that have to be made in kind of how the, how the departments are set up, um, you have to change sometimes managers, you have to reorganize a lot, you know, just to reflect the different pressure on, on the company. And if you are, if you don't have a method, or if you are unafraid of making those decisions, that's where you will make your mistakes, you know, because you, sometimes you have to say, listen, you were the right person like a year ago. Uh, you're not the right person now. You don't. You haven't grown with this company because the company is growing so fast. And uh, so you have to, you know, sometimes you don't make too many friends in this kind of, but you have to have your friends somewhere else, you know. So it's not always, so one book would definitely be about that, you know, uh, how you are, you know, how you often have to be kind of, it's it's kind of be like being in a, a doctor in an in a emergency room, you know, just have to make decisions to, to for the long term well being of the of the patient, and sometimes it means amputating, or sometimes it means doing something in the short term that is un kind of uh, uncomfortable. It's painful, yeah. yeah. And uh, and you have to be, and this is then it goes back to my co-dependency, you know, because it's uncomfortable to have these discussions. I mean, you are we are friends. I mean, we have worked together. We have gone through a lot of things together. It's I would rather as a human being, I would rather want to avoid saying negative things to you. Or, or saying, listen, you are not the right person here anymore. So you have to, you have to have a method of doing these things. What drives you? Fear? <laughs> no, I don't know. Fear I, of what? No, I don't, I'm joking. No, I, I really don't know. I mean, I have no, and that's another thing that I often probably like most people struggle with. And what's, what's it all about? I mean, what's the, what's the purpose? I don't know. I haven't found it. So what, what motivates you to come to the office in the morning? Ah, uh, good coffee here. No, I don't. No, of course, you know, it's great buildings and, and it's great building a company and you're working with great people and, and you're, you're reaching your, achieving your goals and, and you are functioning because I, I have, it's difficult to explain to people. I have genuine, it gives me genuine joy when I see people I work with reach their targets or, or kind of achieve their, uh, achieve some kind of a, when I see people f- functioning and working and they're happy. And if I have created that environment, I, it really gives me something. Uh, and, you know, I, I mentioned before that I'm a musician, I'm a drummer. You know, so I've been a professional drummer for a number of years. And that's a, and I re- kind of realized it later that this is the role of the drummer. You're always creating a foundation for other people to, to shine. I mean, the guitar player has to take his solo and the singer has to be there on the front of the stage. So as a drummer, you're always kind of sitting on the back. You're sometimes not in the stage lights. You are, you know, people don't kind of see you. They never know your name, you know, and stuff like that. But you're always kind of making sure that everything is functioning so that other people can 
And of course, we obviously realize and know that we are the most important people. <laughs> but but that's that's the same as with with this. You know, you can create your team, create your band, let people function, and and let the band play play a great show. But you also have to be very straightforward to say, listen, you're not the right bass player for me. You know, you can't be in this band anymore because you know we were we were the right guy like a month ago, but now we're a lot better. Or we got more famous, and the 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 challenges are their expectations are higher now than they were a month ago or a year ago. You had that experience with the band when you got popular, uh, and you were that was that was one of your stages. Uh, when yeah. I, when I mentioned it to the people outside of Iceland, they were like, "What is that a career fun person?" <laughs> and we discussed that it's normal for for Icelanders, right, to to switch and have many careers in one lifetime. So you had an experience where you actually brought a therapist yeah, yeah. or psychologist to yeah, the band. Yeah, no, I mean, a band, like like I was in, and I was very fortunate to to be in a band here in Iceland that kind of was and still is relatively big here and, and has been for a number of years, probably 10 years. And uh, and a, a band is a, is a business, and you you have to do the same kind of planning. You have to decide now you make an album and then you book a lot of concerts and then you have people working for you and this is long term planning. And then it's also a highly creative, highly creative environment and individuals and and kind of no one. There's no hierarchy. So here at this company, I'm the boss. So if like everything we've been talking about today, there's one guy that says, you know, okay, you're not. You have to do it like I want you to do it at the end of the day. I mean, we can talk about teamwork and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, this is how we want to do things. This is usually not like that in bands. So people are always, there's always this constant power struggle going on, creative power struggle, alliances. I mean, this is the reason why bands break up so many times, you know, egos, and, you know, all these things. And I just used, and I was, you know, a great band, great friends of mine. And I just realized that a lot of the problems that we were going through as a band were the same as any team would go through. So I used my experience from business to basically say we need to sit down with someone and, and t- talk about how we communicate, why we're doing this, what what is our objective. And we realized that we all wanted the same thing. And at that point, we wanted to make a great album. We wanted to play all these shows and we wanted to do, to do those things. Uh, so we had the same purpose and we had the same objective, but we're unable to kind of realize that we were, we couldn't do it without working together so we were stuck with each other and um yeah no uh, that was a great and we did it and, and uh, it was one of our most i would say one of our best albums and, and it was a great you know great experience and it was a first for for i think uh, many well, at least people found it very interesting but but i found thought, thought it was completely normal because i mean at the end of the day this is a money-making proposition being in a professional band and and why wouldn't you do this and why would you just waste that by by storming out of the room because you know i thought i wanted it should be more famous than you or something this is completely stupid and this is the ego talking and if you if people realize that the ego is the problem then that's already a problem that then can be fixed if people have the same perception of of a problem what how people can analyze themselves and think mm, is it the ego talking right now or something else I'm not the right person to answer that. I mean, I just know for me that ego has been a problem. I mean, in my life, I, I see it now. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, I have a problem with uh, authority. You know, I'm a, I'm a punk rocker, you know. So I, I don't like the police. You know, I don't like 
the, the authorities, you know. So I, you know, I just, you know, that's that's one thing, you know, and, and just, I just, and, and, but then I have learned techniques that when I begin to feel like that, for example, in a, in a business setting, when I have a boss that is asking me to do things that I don't like or, or someone is asking me about things that I think should be, why are you asking me about this or stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just learn that I feel a certain way and I begin to kind of, I, I you know, I, I have learned to put my ego aside, you know, and, and breathe and, and kind of goes away. I learned it through working with good kind of coaches and, and uh, but, but I'm a massively dysfunctional and, and kind of stupid man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to say like I've cracked it. I know how to do it. I mean, the only thing I'm trained to say, I don't know how to do it, but I'm at least humble enough to say that, you know. You said breathing. So when you catch yourself on those moments that ego is stepping up, you try to breathe deeper or what yeah. is the technique yeah. there? Yeah. And, no, and what are the thoughts or prompts or what is going on in your mind to really put it aside again? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I have, you know, I, I see a small monster. Okay. Just in my head, you know, just, just see a small kind of blue monster that I just, I mentally just put here on the next chair. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're having a difficult discussion and I, I can feel that my ego is coming up and I'm like, no, 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 I just, the guy just sits there a little bit. And, and uh, if I have a moment, I just take a moment to kind of listen and, and breathe deeply and, and just try to call myself. And, and now in the last couple of years, I realized that this was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Not that I was kind of crazy and, and you know, but it most, most what, what it did is like made me feel uncomfortable myself. It didn't kind of affect the way I behaved or what I said. It just, you know, inside I wasn't. And now that you've learned to identify sooner and, and act upon it, what is the inner effect? So, as you said, maybe outside people don't really notice a big difference, but what is the difference that you feel and experience yourself? No, I guess that, you know, I'm more balanced and, and I would like to think that I have more, I bring or take like more probably measured decisions, you know, because they're less emotional. And uh, I try not to take pride in, in being right. You know, I, I try to take joy in, in letting other people that I have the feeling that know it better than I do control you know things like that and just you know not being the main point of focus and, and interest all the time you also mentioned uh, when we discussed the books that you could write from your play experience so far uh, that you, you've made a lot of mistakes and so on and if you would know all that and now start from scratch again join play well i'm in the middle of the river you know i'm not i, I could not i'm not at the point of saying that this has been a success mm-hmm. you know we're still in the startup phase, we're still in loss making, you know. So I, I, I'm confident that we will we will reach a success, but but that will be one of the books success story, and the other one will be like failure failure story. No, I don't know. It's uh, I don't know what the mistakes are, and, and uh, I mean the big mistakes. I will see them later, but but uh, I'm I'm at least again humble enough to know that not everything has been done completely hundred percent correctly, like anywhere. We all make mistakes. I see that as a uh, double book, actually. That on, yeah. From one side, it's a failure one, and then you turn it around yeah, and it's you know, a success a one. Idea. And the chapters are actually like the opposites, showing two wow, sides of the same. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to the, that trilogy. <laughs> I'll definitely buy that. It'll, it'll be a bestseller. <laughs> Birger, um, we touched on a lot, a lot of topics, but I would like to conclude it somehow. For the genius leaders who are listening, maybe the main leadership lesson of yours i've heard a lot about people and and getting like a good team together and nurturing that and 
playing by the rules. But if people would take one thing and start implementing it now or try to be better at it now, what would it be? And maybe one actionable step on how to do it in practical. Wow, that's a big question. I've never really thought about that because I, I don't really think that I have a, you know, I could not give like a lecture of this is how it should be done, you know, stuff like that. But uh, uh, no one should. No, no, that's, that's <laughs> maybe a good point. To be honest, I don't have the answer to that. It's just, it's just always the same thing. Just don't think that you, even though, even though you think you're right, don't, don't assume that you know everything. And, and uh, you know, maybe I'm getting too old something or something. I just know that there's always someone that has thought it better or, or, or kind of knows it better. And you just, your, your job is to make sure that those voices are heard, you know. And a practical step to, to practice this non, non-assuming, what could that be? Don't always be talking, you know, listen more. I think it's a great summary for the discussion. Thanks a lot, Birgit. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.